0: There's a little bit of follow up. There's a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> how about them sports leagues? Mm-hmm. I enjoy yeah. them sports but leagues, not even teams.
1: Yeah, well, I think they. <laughs> yeah, so many leagues. You know, ball leagues. Twenty thousand sport leagues under the sea. At least is that a lot of leagues? I don't even know. I don't know how far a league is. I feel like twenty thousand, I... any amount under the, twenty thousand, even like how twenty thousand feet is under a the league?
0: sea. I feel like a A league is a unit of length. Uh, Well, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It originally meant the distance a person could walk in an hour. Uh, I feel like 20,000 leagues is going to be pretty deep then. I'm a little worried about how deep that would be. Fun fact, a league is a unit of length. It originally meant the distance a person could walk in an hour. That's a long, that's a lot. Uh, It means different things in different places now. It was used in ancient Rome as one and a half Roman miles, which is 7,500 Roman feet which is roughly 1.4 current miles, so (laughs) whereas the Argentine Argentine League is 3.4 miles. So I did not know.
1: Fun fact, 20,000 leagues under the sea does not refer to how deep under the sea they go. Hmm. It's how far they travel while submerged. Oh, I read that book. Because 20,000 leagues is nearly twice the circumference on the Earth, so it's...
0: That would be very deep. Yeah, the league is most... So, well, in English speaking, on land, a league is most commonly defined as three miles, whereas at sea, a league is three nautical miles, which is 3.452 non-nautical miles. The book uses metric leagues, which are four kilometers each. So, nope, nope, no more of the leagues are banned. Well, yeah, no, no, so because it's French... From 1812 to 1840, they one no. metric league was exactly four kilometers or two and a half <laughs> no. miles. No more leagues. Leagues are banned from this show. <laughs> this
1: is surprisingly complicated. When you have the two different definitions, it's like, all right, you're on severe notice. Unit of measurement, like this, look fluid ounces and weight. But when it's when there's three different me, types of of league,
0: no. Oh, there's at least. I mean, there's also, we haven't gotten into Portuguese-speaking places, Mexico, Spain. There's a lot of different leagues. A league is not a league. A league by any other name would not describe the same amount of distance. Even a league by this name does not (laughs) explain. (laughs) That's exactly right. Uh, Okay, well, that's the end of that. No more leagues. Yeah, no more leagues. All right, so fun fact. Many languages have a word to reference more than one person. English used to have one, too. It was you. Oh. Huh. You. Yeah. 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 So we're back at linguistics
1: corner. Okay. So you, which we currently use to refer to generally as one
0: other person, used to be the word for a bunch of other people. So we're talking about a distinction here between second person singular and second person plural. Right. Right. So you referring to one person versus you for multiple people. And in English, as we all know, referring to multiple people is very hard. We have things like y'all and you guys and yinzers and all kinds of regional variations. But the fact right?
1: that you even need to think about, hey, how am I going to refer to a group of people uh, in a generic way? The fact that you have to think about that is unusual as far as languages go.
0: Well, so yeah, in, in many other languages, it's really simple. In German, for example, there's do for one person and ear for multiple people. Mm-hmm. Right. So English used to have this feature too. And perhaps surprisingly... What we lost was the second person singular, not the second person plural. In other words, you was the way that early modern English people would refer to multiple people. So, Alan, do you happen to know? How did they refer to one person? Back in the day, I would go with thou. Thou. Yeah. So thou was used to refer to one person, and you was used to refer to many people. So, what happened? Why are we not all vowing it up today?
1: I don't know. We, I mean, we occasionally do if we happen to be... Shakespeareing, yeah we'll get yeah. into that
0: we'll get into that
1: uh or, or or making people feel guilty by uh reading very serious <laughs> king james bible versus that yeah thing. yeah
0: we'll get in we'll get into all of that yeah yeah so that's a that's a great point those are the the two best examples though so the answer has to do with something called the tv distinction are you familiar with the tv distinction
1: uh i mean i can imagine that their pronunciation is sort of similar like the way you say them
0: like well that that would be a reasonable guess but no TV is short for Tu and Vos, which are the second-person singular and second-person plural pronouns from Latin. Okay. So originally, Tu was used to refer to one person, and Vos was used to refer to multiple people. Okay. Okay. But sometime roughly around the 4th century Common Era, Latin speakers added another layer and began to also use Vos, which, remember, was for multiple people, to refer to one person if that person was higher on the social hierarchy than them.
1: Which we have some, like, a little bit of artifacts of that in English till today.
0: A little bit, yeah. But it was it was a sign of respect. Like the royal we. The royal we is is the greatest example of that, yes. Yeah. So And eventually it became codified in most Romance languages where it's still true today. German, by contrast, uses Z for a formal form, which is a third form outside of do and ear. But Z, making things much more complicated than they need to be and not really germane to this particular conversation, <laughs> is a... Reuse of the word for she and they. So that's a whole other set of complications. I'm
1: completely following and have not lost track of any of the pronouns. I have them all in my head at once. Continue. Right.
0: So to return to our story, Old English and Early Middle English didn't have a distinction between formal and non-formal. Okay. That was for one person. You was for multiple people. All right. Got it. You still following along? Okay. So, but after the Norman French conquest of England in 1066... People started to use "you" also to refer to individual people who were higher on the social ladder than they were, and rich people used it to refer to each other. So, poor people would use "thou," rich people would use "you."
1: Oh, so okay, I see where this is going. So, if somebody is is the person being referred to is fancy, then you will refer to you refer to them in the multiple because they're fancy. Even if it's two fancy people referring to each other,
0: they'll use "you" as if okay. Right. mm -hmm. And this was mostly like a copying of the two vu distinction from Norman French, like most of the nobility of England for the next few hundred years after the conquest spoke French primarily right because that and was the fancy that was like the fancy language even in England absolutely. they had conquered, they thought they were the 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 good one. I'll do another fact sometime about why English has so many words and how that ties into mm-hmm. this, but at any rate, now we have thou for you and you and you formal, right. Right. Yeah. So but in this case
1: now, thou is more just what you would say to somebody who is not uh, of
0: status. Right. So thou is for the you if you know the person or if they're or specifically if they're not of status. Correct. Right. And this has happened before Shakespeare times. Y- yes. Okay. But eventually the rules for when to use thou versus when to use you got really, really complicated, primarily because there was suddenly a middle class. Mm hmm. And it was really confusing as to when to use which one and who were you better than and less better than and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then
1: you have to codify that anytime you refer to someone, you have to make a value judgment on the spot as to right. whether or not they're better than you.
0: <laughs> right. And it could be really bad if you got it wrong because mm-hmm, they might disagree with you on your They decision. really might. Yeah. Could cause some problems. So eventually people just got really conservative and worried about that and just started using you all the time right being polite so that they wouldn't mess it up right cuz if you say cuz the decision
1: is if we if we think we're both fancy then we'll say you if we think you're fancy yeah.
0: we'll say you and if yeah, yeah then that's just the next. As long as everyone says you no one will be we're, upset we're good uh-huh. no one could be upset right which brings us back to where we started this conversation, which is we now in modern English, in like late modern English, really need a word for second person plural. Again. It would be nice. <laughs> yeah, and have now invented all these regional varieties that no one agrees on and all this stuff. But, um, but yeah, so sub fact, and you kind of referenced this earlier, because thou was still being used when Shakespeare was writing and when the King James Bible was written, it kind of dropped out in the 17th century and those were in the 16th century and a little bit before it's now seen by modern English speakers as more formal. Right. Even though at the time it was being used for like a lower uh, status or, person or, or friend close with. friends or people you knew oh, very well or whatever. Right. So historical use, informal, close friends, acquaintances, never used for formal situations. But in modern terms, because you only think of it as fancy people talking about Shakespeare or fancy people quoting the Bible, it's like, oh, thou. that's that's this very like old, archaic, fancy form. And it's like, nope, completely not.
1: So in Shakespeare, do they refer to I guess they I assume they would, but just we never notice that they refer to a king as you. Right. And, and actually multiple people as you. As well as multiple people as you, and they refer to the king as you. But when it's like
0: you know, th- th- you know, thou art whatever. You're, you're, yeah, th- thou art more temperate than a summer's day. Or right. Referring you're referring to talking to equal, someone two equals you know that are casual. Yeah, and then, and and not just an equal, but someone you know intimately or someone you know well. Or right. And you're like, oh, I'm gonna make the point. It's actually a distinction at that point of saying we are close, and I'm gonna step down to using thou. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna use that huh. to be more fo- to be less formal with you to say that this is someone like. I'm, I love, or I'm, I know very well, or someone in my family or something like this. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So
1: that's kind of, that's something that I sometimes hear about in other languages about having these various ways to express, uh, familiarity and, um, you know, sentiment in variations of words that you can sort of say, you know, and we have a little bit of that in English, but I sometimes feel like I'm missing out a little. As if we didn't already have enough variations in garbage <laughs> in our language already, that we need to add that. But no, but
0: it is having having learned to speak a language in this case German, which has these different forms. It is very useful, although yeah. for an English speaker, very confusing and uh, to learn. And, and for minefield that you're accidentally oh, God, referring it so to often.
1: your, you know, father-in-law as if he was your, you know, your <laughs> your
0: girlfriend or whatever, and with well, yeah, and, I'm, and my and my wife gets very. Uh, she laughs at me because I will often use the, I, I, I tend to use the very formal form mostly just for the same reason. So I don't mess it up. And then I'm talking to like our unborn child in formal German. And she's like that. you're you, No, <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you're talking to your son. You, you it's like you're, you're calling, to. you're you know referring to the baby. Yes, sir. Yeah, you exactly. Like, 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 yes, sir. No, sir. It's like, no, like, you're mm, the, mm, you're the parent here. No, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. <laughs> yeah. So, I should start saying thou. I think we should bring it back.
1: We should bring it back. Then just then everyone will know when we're saying you that we're referring to it in the plural and or in a fancy way.
0: Yeah, it kind of breaks your brain. I've tried to like just use you for plural just for, you know, five minutes just to see what that felt like. And it's it's very hard to do because we're so, you know, ingrained at this point. But you can kind of see it in the fact that it's the only one that doesn't change in its forms. Like we have I and me. Mm -hmm. Right. We have us and them. Or or, I'm sorry, uh, us and we, and you know, and they and them. Like everything has two forms, and then it's just you and you, you and you. Mm -hmm. The the rules are so, uh, um, you just they get ingrained
1: in you, and you don't intentionally learn them. But it's it gets rehighlighted when you have as you will learn over the next few years when you have a kid learning English as they grow up and they're speaking and communicating successfully, but some of the words that they'll say they'll apply the wrong rules to and then that highlights to you, oh hey, actually this has a really dumb rule and you just haven't figured it out yet. Like um Ellie, our daughter's almost three and she'll say, Oh, is that yours? And I'll say, Yeah, yeah. And she say, Is that mine's? Oh yeah, exactly.
0: Like pluralizes mine. Because like yours, mine's which (laughs) that one at least I can understand the actual rule. But what my what my niece who's around the same age always does is that she'll say, uh, I too instead of me too." Oh, I too. And in Mm -hmm. fact, and in fact, from a grammatical use point of view, me has no value. Like (laughs) we could absolutely use I for both. There's nothing connotated by me. It's Mm -hmm. completely uh, not helpful. But we keep using it because otherwise it sounds clearly completely insane, right? (laughs) But it's conveying (laughs) no additional meaning. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going. Okay, I too.
1: My other favorite thing of her, of just one of those rules that you aren't taught, but then you eventually figure out is the, uh, the fact that apostrophe S condenses and is, um, so like there is, and you can say there's. Right. And so when right. she finds something, she says, there's, it is, <laughs> there's, it is.
0: That's really really cute. Yeah, yeah. My, you know, my niece is bilingual in in, in German, so sometimes the reasons she's tra- she's saying things wrong wronger because she's translating it. You can clearly tell she's translated it from German, right? And then it it those are some pretty funny ones. But at, she's even modified my my English in certain ways because of she speaks this like sometimes English that's sort of Germanish. And so one thing that they do in German a lot is they'll end sentences with the word for or. They'll be like, "We should that's that's a cool little tree or and." I, you don't really do that in English. That sounds really weird. But when you, I know when do they it. say
1: that in German, do they mean like, that's a cool tree or do you agree with me? Like, it's a like, correct. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, do it's you it's think that's a cool about, tree?
0: Right, exactly. We almost like, do
1: with that in writing, like in a text conversation, you might be like, uh, do you think that's cool or dot 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 question mark? Like, you might say that, but you wouldn't verbally say that. Right. Yeah. But
0: we don't have a way to say it. Right. So they do. And then I find myself saying it in English. Because it's actually really useful, yeah, uh-huh. but it does sound real goofy.
1: I like that, and then now Thanks. we got to
0: weave in our first, not quite dead fact,
1: but dead reference, Dad adjacent reference yeah. fact mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. All right, I've got one. Great. Uh, so this one has a little bit of a preamble: the story how I came across this fact. So uh, I noted, or uh, I I had seen in the news recently in the tech news um, about one of the many tech companies that is IPOing recently. Uh, slack did this week uh entered the stock market uh for the first time Uh, and there's lots of these it's a really good time as far as uh kind of the history of technology for your long-running startup to become a public company and one of the many ones that's Uh, going to be taking this route is a company called Fastly, uh, which I didn't really know much about or really what their business was. But I was like, oh, well, if they're IPOing, then they're probably interesting enough to at least know what they do. So I was kind of checking them out. And they provide like network services um, and uh, CDN, like content delivery network. uh, So to help people kind of uh, share and uh, host their internet content around the world in a rapid way. And I ended up pretty quickly on a page on their website that was describing their network and all the places that they could host content. and and all the cities that they had servers in and you have this list of you know a couple dozen maybe actually more like 40 or 50 cities you know in buenos aires and and uh boston and new delhi and all these major world cities that they have servers in and there's actually some cities that they have two or three different data centers in you know like they have three data centers in chicago uh, new york uh, atlanta and ashburn and I was like, what? Ashburn? Where? <laughs> what? Where is where is Ashburn? I had, like a list where it's like, oh, you know, the Chicago, Chicago, New York, Atlanta and Ashburn doesn't strike me as like those are the top four cities um, in America. And so I started digging <laughs> into this and I learned that apparently, fun fact, 70 percent of Internet traffic goes through Ashburn, Virginia.
0: 70 percent is a big number.
1: That's a really big number. It's so big that even though I saw it in two places, I am still open to things that counter that claim. Apparently, it's an estimate. Obviously, they don't like track every single packet, but. Um, right. It is generally agreed that a redonculous amount goes through <laughs> Ashburn, it's Virginia. A
0: technical term that refers to seventy percent. Yeah, seventy
1: percent, or at least way, 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 way more than you would think. If you said what percentage of internet traffic goes through <laughs> Ashburn, Virginia, you would probably say, "Well, one percent would seem really high." Yeah, um, and it's. Really, I would have said that. That's true. Yeah. So, but yeah, three so three data centers in Ashburn. So. The I dug into this a little bit more, uh, and apparently this is referred to or known as the Dulles Technology Corridor. Of course, in is. the vicinity of the Dulles Airport, uh, and there's a bunch of reasons why that's a really good place to have servers for the internet. So it's one of those kind of like once something starts. Uh, being true it can self-reinforce uh, and so in the early days of the internet this was uh, the headquarters of places like aol and mci worldcom and it's close to washington dc so if you're a contractor for the u.s government which originally funded the internet <laughs> the arpanet right. then yes. that's actually a really good place to be like you're in the neighborhood basically um, and it became known as data center alley and since there are so many data centers there and there's so much internet traffic going through that county basically in that city or not, it wasn't really a city, but sort of apparently has come become more like, uh, you know, a much more developed region uh, because of this boom of industry, then it is more and more beneficial to have data centers there because it's much more likely that you can really quickly, you know, answer the query that you have uh, because the, the data is probably hosted within a mile of where your data center is. Ashburn has four exchanges. I just want to point that out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> more than you would expect. Ashburn, Washington or Ashburn, Virginia, to have uh, apparently electricity is twenty percent cheaper than the national average, um, and I don't know how much. Like this is one of those like causation or correlation things, but I. S- San Francisco, by the way, has three exchanges. I just want to. <laughs> <laughs> so for some context, San Francisco tech tech hub and yeah, center of uh, the the technology universe in many ways. Right has three. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so this is this one of these kind of, like, nexuses that you don't know about. Uh, that no. you, you have traffic every day, maybe every hour, going through Ashburn, Virginia. One little tidbit that will only make sense to people who have uh, been in the technology uh, world or, or done uh, software work, but it was interesting to me is, and then one of those, oh, not surprising once you learn it, is that Amazon Web Services, U.S. East 1 data center, which is, like, kind of the... The premier um, way, place to host stuff on the cloud nowadays, basically, is this uh, US East One data center that Amazon runs, is in Ashburn. So that's it's the super connector of the internet. By the way, Ashburn, Virginia, originally called Farmwell, mm. but they would update the name. Apparently, the Dallas airport also has had like a symbiotic relationship with this because with right Ashburn, there. Virginia. Yeah, and this. Did, How far away is that? It is twenty minute drive away. It's actually close enough that if you look on a map at like the scale of Dulles Airport, like when you go from the center of the airport to the airport boundary, you're already like halfway to Ashburn.
0: Wow! It is worth noting that Dulles Airport is not that near Washington D.C. <laughs> like it's like it's like thirty miles from. Oh uh, yeah, it's but, really not. It's actually way closer yeah. to Ashburn than it is to yeah yeah, yeah to yeah. Washington. <laughs> Ashburn is much, much, much closer. Yeah. I mean, you know, Washington, D.C. is a weird spot and there really wouldn't be room. I mean, built before airports and with uh, with not a lot of room to put airports. So it's not that surprising that all the D.C. airports are not in dc but that one is like particularly far away I think. side fun fact oh ronald reagan is
1: in dc yes well, no it's in virginia well no, yeah virginia. Well, okay but ronald reagan so my side fun fact that was unexpectedly just happened to come to mind um ronald reagan airport it, which is like right near dc it, i'm yeah. sure everyone's deeply that's what everyone shows comes the fun for is like <laughs> D,
0: in washington dc airport facts hey listen we got fans in the dc and in the, in the dmz i'm sure we definitely have Virginians for sure. Uh, we'll get we'll DMZ m- is definitely the the nickname for the that's, area. That's
1: the nickname. Yeah, Ronald Reagan Airport, which is the the airport that's like you know, spinning distance from the Pentagon, uh, is so like locked down from like air clearance and like you say, like the city was obviously built before airports and stuff like that, and it's you know, precious airspace that the uh, instructions for airplanes coming into one of the runways is to follow the river as opposed to any like particular straight line or sight line. And so I have heard actually a couple times that pilots, a lot of pilots enjoy landing at the Ronald Reagan Airport because they get to like actually use their sort of use their smarts, so to speak, and like be manually following the river as opposed to uh, some straight line defined mathematically. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So they like Real-time
0: that. fun fact because I heard in my head what I myself had said. and i said that the nickname for the dc area was the dmz (laughs) which is for sure not true the nick the, the nick the nickname for the dc area is the dmv which which is very different uh-huh. and, <laughs> and then in
1: five minutes we'll find out that that unlikely fun fact is also an abbreviation
0: for district maryland virginia okay mm-hmm. but uh but dmz is is like a it's demilitarized landing zone and yeah exactly uh-huh. where like planes land in war so definitely dmv not dmz apologies to my dmv <laughs> pals out in pg county <laughs> uh, i see i know all of these things could also just all be wrong too and then i'm we're just going to get a a recurring churn of follow-up i certainly hope so if i'm wrong out (laughs) there in in dc fun Factor land then leave a five-star review (laughs) maryland exactly a five-star review and let us know we deeply appreciate you
1: uh so that was uh yeah that's the old fun facts i had about uh internet
0: traffic and dc area airports ashburn yeah wow well i did not know that that's really really interesting mm-hmm. so i'm gonna take things across the coast coast to coast back over to happy yeah, back over to here where i live don't they,
1: they, they get annoyed if you say that that washington is on the east coast because it's like i don't know like an hour or two drive from the coast do they get annoyed I don't know. I've re- well, that's what happens in 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 Canada. Toronto to me is like East Coast, but to them, it's not even close to their them. Toronto
0: is nowhere near the East Coast of anything. <laughs> it's like it's <laughs>
1: like eighty to ninety percent of the way to the East Coast from from Vancouver, and so what? to to yeah. me, culturally, like Toronto
0: and New York are East Coast, and yeah, okay, but Toronto to Boston, you know, the actual East Coast is a nine hour drive <laughs> like, right but, but like vancouver to toronto <laughs> is like a multi-day drive
1: so you're within you could reasonably drive to the coast in a day sure you're pretty but like, much the, toronto is in the midwest it's kind of the way that like okay i may regret this analogy as soon as i make it but like if you said las vegas is that east coast or west coast like it's uh, it's neither. I mean, it's it's in the middle of the desert, so it's obviously
0: not on the yes. coast. But it's like no,
1: you know, as far as like it's culturally, No, it's in the mountain.
0: Culturally, <laughs> I think it's in the mountain west. Technically, I'm not really sure. Las Vegas is kind of a weird, a weird. It's angle. not central. But, but it's well, okay. If you have to categorize as Las Vegas, West Coast, Central, or East Coast, no, it's no, it's in the west. It's, it's West in the crust? West, it's just not West Coast. Uh, yeah. The coast is a specific thing. I well, know.
1: I mean, then, okay.
0: So, so how many, do you have to be
1: able to see the coast? Do you have to be
0: able to walk I, to it? I think you have to be able to drive to it, you know, as an outing. Nine hours could be an outing. No. <laughs> no, no, it could not. It could be an Nine outing. hours is a long drive. Yeah, fun fact about Toronto, by the way, which I should say Toronto because they don't pronounce the T. Yeah, there. there's two but, syllables, Toronto. So the the Toronto basketball team, the Raptors, who recently won the NBA championship, congratulations, Canada! Well, Bob. they have a slogan that is "We the North." Yes, that is a thing. But the the night that they announced that slogan, they happened to be playing the Portland Trailblazers, mm-hmm. and it led to one of my all time mm-hmm. favorite internet memes, where the Toronto Raptors announced "We the North," and then Portland posted the Portland Trailblazers account posted a tweet a picture of a map showing how Portland is significantly north of North of Toronto. And they were like, we the north too. And then Minneapolis where the Timberwolves <laughs> play, who are also north of yeah. Toronto. Yeah, north of both no. cities probably. Yeah. yeah. Also, I don't think so, but also, also said we the north. And then if Seattle still had a team, of course, we would be the true north. But uh, sadly, Ba-bum-bum. we don't. Yeah. But so Toronto thinks it's in the East Coast and it's not. Or maybe you think it's. Maybe Toronto people don't no
1: i don't think i don't think toronto thinks it's on the coast it's only like from the vancouver perspective yeah that it's kind of like you know like over there yeah i'm sure i'm sure we've just gained so many subscribers from this little conversation (laughs) deeply deep Uh, fascinating
0: geography facts (laughs) i really enjoy i hope everyone knows how much we enjoyed (laughs) that though and that's what matters if we're having fun that's the most that's what we're all here for yeah so but back to coast to coast, West back coast. to the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact: the Bay Area housing market is broken and evil.
1: Yeah, mm, yeah, I uh, I have heard many rumors and and uh, expositions on
0: this topic, and uh, every every all signs point to yes. Yeah, so so my wife and I were looking to buy a house and through the process we had heard forever that it was broken and evil but when you say house do you mean house or do you mean home what is the
1: difference okay well so a home is uh is a form is a shelter you know a dwelling a place that you can live and a house Uh is a specific type of structure typically that only has one home in it stereotypically we were buying a house
0: yeah see you know that's gonna be a single family home yeah
1: yeah, that's yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be a problem.
0: Well, yeah, except that most of Oakland is single family homes.
1: Okay, right. But you're wanting to buy a detached home in the right. most expensive uh, real estate
0: market, uh, or one of the most expensive in the world. Right. So I knew that, but but we were exploring it anyway, and I learned specifically how broken that fact has made the system broken which fact the fact that it's so expensive Mm -hmm. and that there's so much demand yeah and so little supply it's about demand that's also why the price is i read the fact that the demand is well, demand is high but like okay not to (laughs)
1: like this could go for very deep for very long rants but, yeah, the supply,
0: like, the amount of new housing they have been building right. in the Bay yes. Area let's, compared let's leave, to— let, We'll leave that one more or less yeah. alone for the purposes of this. But, but that's but the also broken. Supply-to-demand ratio is broken. So we put together an offer for this home, and that offer had the following characteristics. Seven things that I think will explain what I'm talking seven. about. Seven. There were seven aspects of this offer. Seven. Right. So, number one, a lot of it was in cash.
1: Okay, that seems like if I'm a if I'm a seller, that sounds good. I like a lot of cash. Right. In. Number 2. uh uh-huh. It was 40% over the asking price. <laughs> yeah, well I mean that seems like that would be a shoe in
0: because I houses mean, are priced low so that buyers will show up because if they're priced accurately, everyone uh, will assume that they're still going to go 40% over and uh, we'll no one 40%. will show up. Mm-hmm
1: okay so 40 percent over asking
0: which again seems like okay well obviously that bid would win third factor no contingencies meaning that we made an as is offer we had our own inspection before we made the offer that we paid for and we were making an as is no matter what happens no matter what we find we can't get out offer so even if like an earthquake destroyed the place in between now and when you made the offer it's like well what are you gonna do yeah all
1: right
0: number four we couldn't find a pest inspector in time, so we just had to assume the worst there and factor that in. When you say assume the worst, you mean assume the best? Like, you, No, no. You I mean, assuming that offer. there was going to be a massive amount of, of mitigation
1: required. So you offered more or you offered less money on the assumption? No, because that,
0: they don't know about it. So we just had to factor in that we were going to have to spend that money. Okay. Yeah. So you just wrote that right. off. Number five, a 14 day close. Right. So basically, we will get this to you extremely fast. Right. The typical close in most markets is 28 to 30-something days. We're going to get you the money, final approval, because we we're pre- pre-approved for a loan, right? But we need the final actual approval. We need to actually get the money. We're going to do that in two weeks. And again, if we... So number six, no contingencies also meant that we would be unable to back out if the bank decided to dramatically change the deal on our pre-approval loan loan terms Or if the financing fell through, we would just forfeit our escrow, which is the money we put in as a sign of good faith. And also be legally liable for the gap in between what you offered and what they actually sell for if it sells for less. There you go. And number seven, we we wrote a love letter to the sellers explaining how much we (laughs) wanted to buy their house and selling ourselves Mm -hmm. to them as potential buyers.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm going to say that all of the things put together I mean you clearly, the offer was immediately accepted and you were shoe in for right. getting That's like phone. an incredibly strong
0: offer, right? Like, no one mm-hmm. does that. That's
1: insane. Yeah, and I mean, no conditions right. and uh, mostly, mostly cash, cash 40%, 40% more 40% than asking. 40% more,
0: yeah. Okay, so this mm. is what actually happened. So, <laughs> so uh, we were told at the time, because one of the things that uh, real estate agents are required to do is tell you how many disclosure packets they have out and how many official offers they've accepted. Okay. So we were told, at least here, we were told that there were five offers and we made our bid accordingly. But at the very last minute, another five showed up. And that is because people are essentially trying to eBay snipe house purchasing. Okay. Which means that that by not disclosing that they're going to offer, they hope they'll keep the price artificially
1: lower. Right. Because if they give an offer early, then other people will respond and maybe increase their offer. So they put their offer in the very last second and... Say no one can no one has time to Correct. respond to this i, I so. should
0: make the point that almost every house sale in the bay area right now is sort of blind bid there's a specific offer date you get all your offers in and then that's it great yeah so but the sellers can choose obviously to follow up right so on the day the offers were due the agent for the seller called our agent who called my wife while i was driving home from work which is about half the day, so yeah, that's true. But they let us know that they were we were not the highest offer, but that our love letter was their favorite, and asking us could we just come up a little bit on our offer?
1: Okay, but they didn't tell you to
0: what.
1: So again, hoping you blind bid more, right,
0: more or less. Yeah, I mean, I think they were. They did hint at what some of the other offers were, so we had some sense of maybe where we needed to get to. But so so yeah, okay. So that's kind of it initially felt nice. Felt like okay, they. Liked us. We we did a good job of, of explaining why we wanted it. They're they're trying to bridge the gap a little bit. Fine. So we're while we're discussing, while I'm driving home with a coworker in the car because I was carpooling, while I'm driving home, our agent called back and said, Hey, you know the husband of this couple is on his way home. He'll be a little bit. He he, he works far away. Can we have like a half hour so that they can meet and discuss the the, the offer? And they said no. They could not wait that long. They couldn't have a half an couldn't hour. Couldn't have a half an hour. So then, while we were deciding over the phone driving whether we should raise our offer, they called back to say that another bidder, who was already higher than us, had increased their bid. Which <laughs> means that they clearly told all of the bidders the same story. Mm-hmm. They didn't just call you. Mm-hmm. Right. At okay. that point, our agent said, this is bad and wrong. You shouldn't proceed with this. Yeah, just stop. Yeah. So we ended up offering whatever our max was and immediately got told that that you know we were out. And... The house ended up going for like 60% over asking. Oh, my God. So the asking is just a random number at this point. Pretty much. I mean, you know, there's a house down the street from my current house that needs a complete gut job rebuild. Like it is the same woman lived in it for 90 years. So just buying for land value at that point. Completely unlivable. Yeah. It went for, I think, 30% above asking.
1: Yeah, I mean, at that point, the percentage budget asking is not super meaningful because then they're just making they're just making fake numbers.
0: Well, sure, but, but what's happening is even the fake numbers are too low. So, so one thing I'll do when, when we go to these places is I'll ask the real estate agent, "Hey, you know, you, you, we we all know that you're pricing this in this way to attract attention. What do you think it's actually going to go for?" And they are remarkably candid, but so far they've been low on all of their guesses and maybe they do that on purpose to even still try to get you to bid. But there was a, a a house down the street where we were told that it was expected to go 30% above and it went for like 70% above. Uh -uh.
1: So, yeah. So, so one thing that like I'd be curious about is how much, because I've seen this effect in Vancouver, I mean, the housing market in Vancouver we were talking about previously did this, like 70% over asking is, I don't know if that got common, um, but definitely uh, it, prices were appreciating rapidly, like doubling in four years or, or less and things like that. But the rental market, when I, I mean, cause I rent and I have for a while would get this situation where people would uh, price under a bit under intentionally, but some accidentally price too much under and then get 50 or a hundred or more applicants. Um, and you would get, Occasionally occasionally uh, times, there's one I went to before I learned, oh, t- to be able to actually estimate myself, I can now really accurately figure out how much price w- it will go for or that it should be priced at. And so if I'm like, oh, this is too good to be true. But when you, when, there's one where I saw it and I was immediately like, oh, wow, this seems amazing. This way sticks out. In my list, it was like something that should have been, you know, 50, maybe not 50% more, but substantially more. And so I was like, immediately came up on Crisis. So I'm like, let me come see it. Okay, there's the time. I uh, got told to show up. And when I showed up, there was maybe 40 or 50 people on the street uh, waiting for the same showing. And the real estate agent was like, well, we can only have. Uh, this many people in the elevator at a time, so we're going to have to come bring you up in waves. And then a woman started crying in the street because she wasn't going to be in the first wave of seeing this apartment. And the thing was, it wasn't because the apartment was so good. Actually, when I got up there, it became very obvious that it was problematic because the uh, <laughs> the balcony was immediately above a giant patio of a pub that oh, was open late. No, And 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 i noticed that and i was like hmm and th- and meanwhile there's like a dozen people in the apartment just kind of milling around and trying to rapidly write deposit checks and the person who was renting it at the time was there and i was like hey how do you like it and she's like uh it's okay <laughs> and i'm like what do you uh think of the pub down there and she's like it's not good and i'm like is that why you're moving and she's like yes wow <laughs> So I just left and already multiple people, like there was a a line of people all filling application forms and people putting it down deposits. Um, But what had caused that was not that it was so great or that necessarily the market was so like, I mean, the market was broken, but it was that everybody was doing the same Craigslist search and For that price amount, this thing appeared and was suddenly a really good deal, like it stuck out in the list, because in your price range, anyone in that price range would say, well, this almost all one bedrooms were coming up, and this is a two-bedroom in a new building in a good neighborhood, so great and it's right near a pub (laughs) um yeah so that that, that's not obviously to say that's all of the effect but i definitely have seen that and i've seen that in the buying market too is that if you (sighs) most of us are all going by a search parameter and if in that search parameter something is underpriced it's going to pop up into your search parameter which is why they do it but you have to start to actually be able to Use your own, you can't rely on the real estate agents. You have to use your own math to look at that. And you're like, yeah, that's great, person that claims I can buy this place for a hundred thousand dollars, but this is actually a $1.6 million dollar place that you're just screwing around with. So, right. uh, And also, if it's really worth that low amount, then there's something like there's something really wrong about it, right? That we
0: don't know. Well, yeah, the problem here is for both the rental market and the housing market is that both things are true. So that even, even at, even when people are making realistic offers, there's still often 10, 15 offers. And when you're trying to rent an apartment also, like if you don't get that, you know, form in first, I mean, I remember one time 12 years ago, no more than that, 13 years ago, getting an apartment just because my roommate and I went at 1am and dropped it like under their door. and 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 then found out we were the first of 13 applicants and they just and they were asking a certain amount so it wasn't a bidding war situation but they were just like run credit it's good yeah you get it if not we'll go to the next person so it's but for the housing for buying a house the bidding is just it's it's completely insane and there's just every because there just aren't enough houses and there's plenty of people who want them so it does not matter what the deal is, what's wrong with the house, if if it's in any way awesome, that's even worse, right? Like you know no matter what the price is at. And then there's a lot of people who are coming in. And this is really what, what drives the prices up significantly is that someone will come in who has the money to not care how much they're spending.
1: Yeah. Well that was happening a lot in Vancouver until recently. Right. People coming in money laundering and then they literally doesn't really matter. Right. It's a one million, two million it's like I really just need to get rid of this money. Oh, you want more of it? Okay, fine. Here's the money.
0: <laughs> so I don't think here it's a, a laundering issue. Uh, maybe some of it, but I think mostly it's just like at whatever price range you're looking at, there's going to be some people for whom that is closer or not as close to the top of their range. Yes. And some, all it takes is for one person to be like, I'll pay an extra $100, hundred, two hundred, whatever thousand dollars to just to get it because they want to be done with their search. Maybe they've already bid on you know ten houses and they're just they're just done. And then you're just not going to win no matter what. And, you Ugh. you know, you just don't get a house. So,
1: Well, you know, in Vancouver, housing's uh, you know, coming up uh, a lot uh, more reasonably. So uh, there is not... So you're saying I should there's move. There's n- definitely not homes coming. <laughs> I'm definitely saying you should move. <laughs> Your commute is already pretty long. Driving from Vancouver to, to <laughs> South Bay <laughs> would be uh, only a little bit longer. And you got the autopilot. I mean, the flight honestly would would be about the same probably yeah it would probably be faster sometimes yeah yeah yeah. So well, I'm glad to have solved that problem, and uh, that's what we do here. Thanks. A fun fact is uh, solve problems with facts. Yeah, thanks, friend. Fact: the Vancouver housing market is now back to being less stupid <laughs> than the Bay Area one.
0: Yeah, there's no real end in sight here. They keep thinking it has to end. I you hear a lot of real estate agents here be like, "Well, it has to end. Like it just cannot continue this way." And which is true, but it, you might just like yeah, on some your time brain
1: might explode, or you know, right. you might melt. Of <laughs> what's that old quote? Yeah. You know, the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. That's, that's that can be a bit of a problem yeah but you know uh bidding blindly with give, not even being given a half hour to think about it about <laughs> a house that might be infested with termites might have not have been so great anyway so yeah. it might be for the best yeah but yeah at least let's tell ourselves that
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> it's everyone's favorite time alan it's everyone's favorite time you know what? Normally, this is one of my favorite times, but I feel like I've got some, something coming to me. I've got some correction follow-up yeah, inbound. Yeah, Come comeuppance. Comeuppance. Some comeuppance. <laughs> so, no, all right. No. Mistakes are, are part of life. Mistakes are part of life, and they're part of fun fact, and that's what we're here to do, is to come eventually <laughs> to the truth, which we'll at least get closer to this time, and then you can all tell me how I'm still wrong, but hopefully less wrong. Yeah, man, it's asymptotic. You never get there. Hopefully less wrong. Um, So last episode, I shared a fun fact, which is that soap makes water more wet, which it does. Yes. Soap is a surfactant. And that's it. it, That's the end of the fact. Yeah, that was the fact. But then Arik started asking more questions about soap. I'm sorry. Which is something I had not really, I had not actually really researched soap itself i s- researched wetness which is a thing we also have some follow-up about um and we got some positive lots of positive feedback on like oh here's some additional interesting things about wetness or though that was a good i hadn't really thought about like what actually makes something wet um but then we I got into this hole of just saying well the fact that <laughs> surfactants make water more wet is why soap works period mm. as opposed to that is one of and potentially the less important kind of mechanism with which uh, soap works. So the the real kind of core or the most important thing that makes soap work, even though, yes, it does make water more wet and that helps the whole thing work is the the fact that there are molecules in soap that have one end is hydrophilic and the other end is hydrophobic which means that uh one end wants to grab onto water and the other end doesn't like water it will grab onto oil and so you can sort of imagine how that would let water and oil be able to combine and you can grab the the soap can kind of grab the oil and help it get washed away so what you're saying Um, is
0: that soap is how oil
1: and water mix which you said on the episode and I was like yeah but I <laughs> didn't I didn't really <laughs> I didn't be, I didn't kind of follow up with, although the fact that you are saying that and that seems true and you just looked it up kind of disproves the thing I just said, where that the soap makes water more wet is the entire mechanism of soap, <laughs> which I just kind of said off the top of my head, not really having replaced the fact that uh, it does that, like kind of critically analyze the fact that just because it does that means that that is the only mechanism that it works. So thank you, Internet, for correcting me. And all of the fun factors who wrote in or tweeted or left. I didn't see any one star uh, reviews about that, but uh, I did appreciate the feedback. And we also got some uh, other comments about wetness and wedding. I should say wedding. (laughs) (laughs) I think about wedding (laughs) Wedding. or I don't know about how things can be wet. So the wetness of various ones. Um, friend of the show, Lyle Troxell, uh, gave us some good facts around this. Uh, for example, uh, it turns out that we said, can water be wet? And we are talking about, is water wet? And there's this <laughs> philosophical thing, but there actually is a sort of clever joke, uh, you know, tech interview question type of answer. How do you get water wet? Well, if you freeze it and then put water on it, then it's wet. Oh, that's so oh, duh. that's cheating. Duh. But it, it, I thought that was yeah, no. It's, was a it's good correct. One. It's
0: it's correct and hilarious.
1: And also via Lyle, I mentioned we were talking about Mercury and how Mercury doesn't wet. Most things it tends to kind of just say glom together uh, and and not spread on surfaces. Um, and he apparently went out and did that research for us long ago uh, as a teenager. And apparently, if you pour some mercury in your hand uh, or on some paper, it doesn't get it wet, uh, and you can it just kind of rolls around as a blob. Which again, we do not encourage you to do. But apparently do not if you try do, that at home. It does not get your hand wet, and yeah. it just kind of rolls back off again. As far as we know, Lyle has not died of mercury poisoning. Uh, so. <laughs> uh so that's good for Lyle uh, and good for us cuz now we know uh that mercury apparently does not wet paper or hands uh, and then also we got on uh the twitters a video uh, sent in about uh how to make your hands not wettable apparently there's a video on Veritasium which is an excellent science youtube channel uh, about uh, wetness and uh, some of the properties of aerogel which is kind of fascinating substance so that's our uh, and i think feel like there's even a couple more maybe we'll do yet more <laughs> wedding wedding properties of <laughs> physics <laughs> now i can't now you can't remember i've said it with a straight face wedding the whole last episode for some reason i can't do it this time around. it's hard it's hard so, yeah. So, sorry, everyone, but we'll I'll try to make amends by
0: providing more interesting facts around. Would you like to hear a non-wedding-related f- uh, follow-up piece? That would be great. Let's just get right off of wedding. All right. So, mm-hmm. my wife, Daria. Friend of the show. Who is a real-life German citizen slash speaker, says uh, in response to our discussion of the audio manufacturing products company that website claims that they're... Pronounced "Shita," mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the one spelled S C H I I T. Right. That if it was actually German, it would be pronounced "Shiit," not okay. "Shita." But also, apparently, in German, that's the name for Shiite Muslims. Okay. One sheet many Shiiten. Okay. But also, also, she pointed out that when we were looking at the website, we missed the part where they admit that it's all made up and that they mean it to be <laughs> pronounced "shit."
1: Okay. (laughs)
0: Uh, Okay. So we were punked. (laughs) We were full on punked and we totally missed it. And I like everything about
1: that. I don't feel as bad when a company's own website makes a false claim about themselves. Like, I mean, we should be doing more rigorous research, of course. But if something comes up in the middle of the show, we quickly Google, how do you pronounce this thing? And we read the company's own website about the pronunciation of the company. I feel like that's just like a mild miss.
0: (sighs) Yes. Although I will say that the wrong answer is one sentence on their front homepage, and the right answer is literally the next sentence below it <laughs> so <laughs> only the most rigorous research fun. yeah yeah it would have been virtually impossible for us to find that. <laughs> yeah i mean
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we should start a a, a patreon you can fund the the team of researchers to really dig deep and get yeah. the secondary facts yeah or we'll just listen immediate. to my
0: wife yeah or we'll just like do more than one second of research next time we look something up on the fly one last follow-up we have from friend of the show casey liss he says that you should check your tire pressure at least a couple times a year and really and this is important even better during seasonal changes because the large fluctuations in temperature can dramatically change the tire pressure that you have and uh in my case that's especially relevant because it is so low effort for me to check the tire pressure in my car it's literally swipe one direction on a touchscreen and it just shows it to me so i really have no excuse although i will throw out tesla to say maybe let me know when it's like in a zone that is heading in a bad zone not just when you're like you need to put air in your tires that would be useful but really the burden is on me so thank you casey for reminding me and all of us that we should check our tire pressure regularly
1: yeah, and that's one of those, like, okay, yeah, floss. But I like that extra, that's a new fact to me that the, I mean, it's intuitive, but then I hadn't really been put on my radar that the uh, time, the season changes are going to actually change the volume of the air in your tire. And that, yeah. like, because it's like, when well, it was fine. My tire's not leaking. Uh, then uh, that that's why you got to check it. So um, we mentioned on last episode that it would be fun to have an emoji contest. So we're soliciting emoji. Um, if you have proposed Im- images or just a pitch or any uh, <laughs> any input at all to what is the best rejected emoji on the list uh, that we linked up in the last show notes and we'll link up again and we've linked up on Fun Fact FM about what do you think the best re- uh, rejected emoji either – the emoji that you think it is most hilarious or good that they rejected, or the emoji that you think would be most useful, like dumpster fire uh, obviously would be just good for everybody, Uh, then send us a tweet or email or otherwise get in touch and let us know what you think are good rejected emoji. And then to fuel that fire, um, somebody sent in a list of uh, some of the illustrations that went with some of the rejected emoji, um, which is not – they don't actually match up one-to-one to to the list of – the proposed ones i think that some of the proposed emoji actually had uh, sub emoji that weren't listed in the spreadsheet um, and then there's also uh, some that predated the spreadsheet so uh, there's some good rejected emoji icons uh, which we will link up in the show notes on randomguy32.de which i'm sure is the authoritative uh, <laughs> source of these but it seems like someone who's actually collating these um, and doing the research that is in the know about emoji we should also shout out to lauren florco yes friend of the show lauren floco for uh, giving us a good proposal for a global warming emoji which i joked was not representable and the emoji consortium seemed to agree uh but her crack photoshop skills uh, have convinced me
0: otherwise it, that uh, is so representable yeah climate I, change is so representable
1: i thought this was actually a really good one because so she depicted it which now to me sounds really obvious and i feel dumb for not like Like once it's it's one of those good design is obvious when you see it, you know, it's a globe. It's the earth on fire. Yeah. And so Bill Nye did on a recent episode of John Oliver's show. Like Bill did recently, but also the thing, the reason I think that could be a good proposal for an emoji is that it meets the criteria that they have for it to be multi usable. So you could say that emoji to say that it's hot out today. You could say, I'm going to set, you know, this, I think this song is going to set the world on fire, for example, Yeah. yeah. Uh, or to refer to global warming. So I think yeah. that that's like, come on emoji consortium. To me, it seems like a really good,
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know why they're not consulting with Lauren on these <laughs> emojis. We don't uh, know for a fact that they're not. But if they are, then we've just seen a awesome preview of what's to come. Exactly. Emoji yeah. 2020. But um, we would love to see more of your awesome, awesome, awesome ideas. And the funnier the Photoshopping or MS painting or whatever, the the better. And to be clear, I also accept pitches. Like if you can't Photoshop it, maybe just
1: describe it to us and maybe we can hook it up to somebody who has the Photoshop skills. But even if
0: you can just do stick figures, please, we would love to see it. Um, And I'm going to volunteer Eric
1: and I also to each do one too.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm on board. <laughs> I think
0: we can do that. Let's do it. I have no idea what we're going.
1: I'm going to draw. Okay, so what I'm going to do here is find the fun fact.
0: I might do dumpster fire because I do really like that. Although now that I've seen a fire one, I just don't know. You know, maybe, ooh, maybe, maybe hmm, dangerous sun. Just like a <laughs> sun with like sunglasses on, smoking a cigarette. You know, he's cool.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Is dangerous sun is <laughs> dangerous sun like gonna hurt you because of his sun properties, or is it like sun that like?
0: Yeah. Might get yeah. You in he's trouble. just so done. Du- he's so dangerous. He's so cool that he's dangerous. Oh yeah. You yeah. just don't know where he's going to get you wrapped up in. You don't know. You don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>